I want to share with you a story called Pressing On by A.W. Tozer. Tozer stated the, the rapidity with which improvement is made in the life will depend altogether upon the degree of self-criticism we bring to our prayers and to the school of daily living. Let a man fall under the delusion that he has arrived. Let a man think that he's perfect and all progress is stopped until he has seen his error and forsaken it. Paul stated, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, Philippians 3.12, which is one of the verses of the passage that we're going to look at this morning. So some Christians, they hope in a vague kind of way that, that time will help them to grow better. They look to the passing of the years to mellow them and to make them more Christ-like. This is such a tender and pathetic thought that one hesitates to expose its essential error. But we had better know the facts now while we can do something about them rather than go on moist-eyed and dreamfully hopeful and wholly wrong. A crooked tree does not straighten with age, neither does a crooked Christian. All this is to say that a growing Christian must have at his roots the life-giving waters of repentance. The cultivation of a repentant spirit is absolutely essential to spiritual progress. The lives of great saints teach us that self-distrust due to our flesh is vital to godliness. Even while the obedient soul lies prostrate before God or goes on in reverent obedience, convinced that he's carrying out the will of God with a perfect conscience, he will yet feel a sense of utter brokenness and a deep consciousness that he is still far from being what he ought to be. This is one of the many, the many, excuse me, this is one of the many paradoxical situations in which the humble man will find himself as he follows on to know the Lord. So last week we looked at religion kills, relationship saves. These are the main takeaways that we looked at, that our works do not earn salvation, not, self, not self-righteousness. It is only by grace that we've been saved, as Paul said in Ephesians 2.5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were dead in our sins, God made us alive together with Christ by grace Forgiveness you don't deserve, yet God loves you and he gives it anyway. You have been saved. So we had four points, the four R's. Receive, repent, rest, and rejoice. So the seed, the seed of the gospel is planted by someone in your life. Someone speaks the word of God to you. Someone tells you what the good news is. And God works the receiving of the gospel in your heart. God works in that. He waters the seed. Now, Jesus stated in John 6, 44, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So God works on your heart to receive the gospel, and you see the good news of Jesus Christ as beautiful. The next thing after receive was repent. So if you truly believe the gospel... You must be born again. You believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and he did it fully. He took the full wrath of God. 
Yet while he was crucified, his blood was shed for you. He died the death that you owed. He's put in the grave three days later, rose again. If you believe in that, you trust in that good news, you trust in that gospel, then you must be born again. Now, what's that mean? Off with your old ways, off with the old self, off with your old sinful way of living and your priorities change. Now you desire Christ. You desire to put on the new self, meaning you are to die. That's why this is so hard as a Christian. It's so hard to be a follower of Jesus because you must die to yourself and what your selfishness and your flesh once you repent, you have humility, but you must repent, confessing your sins to God, begging him to help you to flee from sin. You die to yourself, you pick up your cross and you follow him the rest of your life and you desire him. Life is not about yourself, but instead it's about a relationship with Christ and telling people about this good news. Everything that we do should be for the glory of God. And the word of God, the Bible, which points us to the triune holy God, must be our authority. If it is not, then what is? Man-made religion, which is sinful. So receive, repent, rest. We can rest because of the grace of God. And we must seek holiness and ask Christ to work those things in our hearts. We're not perfect. And we must be asking Christ to help us to flee from our sin. But when we mess up, because all have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, we have all sinned, myself included. We're not perfect. I'll be the first one to tell you I'm not perfect. But when we mess up, when we struggle with sin, we can still say at the end of the day, and we can rest in the fact that Christ Jesus Earn your salvation. When God looks at you, instead of seeing your sin, instead of seeing the account of your life, instead he'll see Jesus. But you will be credited, credited his righteousness. When he sees you, he sees the cross. When he sees you, he sees Christ. And you can rest that Jesus has earned your salvation. It's not a works based religion and we can rest in his grace that Jesus has cleansed you of our of your sin and so Jesus said it is what it is finished and so Isaiah 53 by his wounds we are healed so rest in that Christ's grace that he earned is more powerful than your sin. It's more powerful than your past. And in a song by, um, that my friend Jared shared with me by seven places, the lyrics in their song Awakening stated, You just don't know what I've done with these hands, but for your sake, those hands were pierced. Those hands were pinned to the tree. Spikes driven through those hands where he bled to cleanse you and cleanse me from the stuff that we've handled that we ought not to have handled. The stuff that we've done that we ought not to have done. We can rest in Christ's grace and God's grace through himself, through Christ. 
And we can rejoice because of that. We can be joyful. Why? You can have joy every day, every minute, every second. You can have hope and joy due to the fact that while you were a sinner struggling with sin, yet God has had grace on you because of his sacrificial love for you. Rejoice in the fact that the gospel, the good news that Christ Jesus has earned your forgiveness and salvation. Now, I want to remind you of of how you cannot earn your salvation. And I want to remind you of the severity of the Apostle Paul's conversion. So Paul, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And when you think of religious zeal, he was out persecuting and killing Christians. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee who thought that he was building up treasures in heaven due to his zeal and legalism and keeping the law. Paul stated last week that he counts those things as utter garbage. And it may have been a little bit more explicit in the Greek. Paul used to be known as Saul and he was confronted by Christ. Acts 9, 3 to 6. Now as, as he, Saul, went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice to him, Jesus, said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul, Saul, said, who are you, Lord? He knew and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. And so verse nine states, Saul was without sight and he was without food and water for three days. And God used Ananias to help Saul regain his sight. And Ananias, he was terrified to do this due to Saul's history of being a murderer of Christians. But God said in verses 15 to 16, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so after Saul regained his sight from God, Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul went on to write a majority of the New Testament. So if you think that God can't use you for his will then you are mistaken and you ignore his power. How many times has God throughout scripture using broken people to advance his will? I want to share a story by, by Todd Burrow uh, regarding how we should view our self-righteousness. These junior high girls, they would be in the locker room before their games and they would apply this lipstick. All of them before the game, it was like a tradition. They would kiss the mirror before the game and the principal told the girls you need to stop kissing the mirror you smudge it all up and the janitor has to come clean it up of course the girls they didn't want to listen they wanted to keep the tradition they kept kissing the mirror before the games and the principal called them all to attention come here you guys don't know how hard it is for the janitor to clean those smears off the mirror i want to show you how hard it is for this janitor to clean the mirror And so the the principal brought in the janitor to show him how hard it was. And the janitor said, you know how much I stress to clean this mirror? You want to know how hard I work? The janitor took his rag. He walked over to the nearest stall, dipped the rag in the toilet water, and washed the smears off. 
And so the mirror may have seemed washed off on the outside, but let's just say it probably was not disinfected. So this is how Paul now viewed his works of righteousness compared to what Christ has done for us. All of his righteous deeds were like a man wiping toilet water all over a mirror. His works did no good. So what are we without Christ? What are we without God's grace on us? We're sinners. We've transgressed against the holy God. Jeremiah 17, 9 states, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans 6.23, I'll repeat to you, the wages of sin, actually that was 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 states, for the wages of sin is death. There's a payment. Our sin has caused eternal separation from God. You can't be saved if you don't know what you're being saved from. Isaiah 64.6 states, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our inequities like the wind take us away. Romans 9.22 What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath which we are, prepared for destruction? Colossians 1.21 And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Without Christ, we are so broken. We are in complete, utter need of saving due to the sinful nature that stems all the way back to Adam and Eve that's been passed down from generation to generation. But you know, the good thing is, the great thing is yet God still loves his children who believe and trust in the gospel. It's a free gift. Reach for it. And so what does this mean? It doesn't mean that God needs us. I'm not going to paint to you a needy Jesus. No. So many churches make a cupcake soft God and say, He needs you. You're so wonderful. He longs for you. And it's not because of your attractiveness. It's not because of anything that you have done to please God, but it is by God's nature to love. And it's beautiful because despite your sins, God loves those who trust in Christ, who trust in this free gift. And you're given the right to become children of God, children of your creator. Grace that is amazing. You were chosen by God. The grace of God is so much better than you thinking you did anything to save yourself. Yet while you were still a dead corpse, God still chose you. He loves you. His love is so deep that we cannot even fully understand and comprehend it. If you could fully understand and comprehend God, then would he really be God? The love of God ought to blow your mind. The love of God ought to humble you to your knees in utter worship of Him. It ought to excite you. It ought to make you joyful. So die to yourself. This life is nothing but a crumb compared to the pie that is salvation. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. So many say that, oh, yeah, when push comes to, sub, when push comes to shove, I'll die for Christ. But my question instead, which is, that's good. You should want to die for Jesus. 
I want to ask you, will you live for him? To live as Christ. Paul now wants to know Christ in personal relationship and to attain resurrection from the dead due to Jesus. So our passage this morning found on page 186 in the Bibles in front of you is Philippians 3, 12 to 16. I encourage you to turn there. We also will have it up on the screen. Let's be fed by the word of God. We're going to start with verse 12, which will probably take a majority of our time. Verse 12, Paul stated to the church in Philippi, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Even Paul, the greatest Christian ever, admits he is not perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The word here, obtained, namely a perfect knowledge of Christ and of the power of his death and fellowship of his sufferings and a conformity to his death. Your knowledge of Christ and your relationship will continue to grow from when you first believed all the way until when you you are in eternity. The relationship with Christ does not stop. You are never not in the hand of Christ. And you will continue to grow in relationship with Jesus from now until forever. It never stops. And it is beautiful that we will even be blessed with getting to know Jesus. The main beauty is the gospel. But also, God has blessed us with what he has in store for us. We get to look forward to the thousand-year reign of Christ. We get to look forward to the new heaven, the new earth. No more sin, no more evil, no more brokenness. We get to look forward to these things for eternity. But above all this, we must value Christ as he is far greater than any other motive for which we follow him. We should follow Christ not only due to what he has and will do, but we should follow him to go after him, to go after Christ, the pursuit of God, knowing the power of his death for us, fellowship in his sufferings. Remember the statement, what is this life? What is this life compared to eternity? This life is nothing but a vapor compared to eternity. Therefore, to live is Christ and to die will be gain. And the next part of this verse, which states, or I'm already perfect. We are crowned as fellow heirs with Christ due to the gospel, but we're not yet finished with the race, that being this life. We are not yet crowned with the garland of victory. Our course is not completed and perfection is not yet absolutely reached. The image of this, uh, the image of life is that of a race course throughout. Paul said in his first letter to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only only one receives the prize? This life can feel like a marathon, but sprint after Jesus every day. So run that you may obtain the prize. Run that you may obtain it. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 states, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the race is not yet finished. You are saved by Christ. You can rest in that. But we're not yet perfected. And you won't be until you depart to be with Christ. But until then, what are we supposed to do? We strive for Christ to sanctify us. To make us holy as he is holy. And we plant seeds of the gospel of all to all people. Verse 12 states, press on. So what are we pressing on for? Not just salvation, not just the things that we get to look forward to. What we press on for, the answer is simply Christ himself. Because Christ. The text says it right there in the, next, in the, in the text, right in the next verse, in verse 14. It also confirms a statement. Now, Jordan, you may be getting carried away. Now, now, why would I press toward Christ? I thought when I believed that that was it. I thought that if I have done enough religious duties, I can finally rest. I don't want to press on the race. I do not want to have to grow more. Let me share with you why that is such a dangerous mindset. It's so prideful. It's so self-righteous. And John MacArthur stated... Reasons why you should pursue the prize and run the race. First of all, it glorifies God. You do it for his glory. And that's what a Christian is supposed to do with his life. You are to bring glory to God. Second, it verifies regeneration. If you've truly been born again, it makes demonstrable the fact that you were truly changed because you're in the progress of making it visible that your life is being changed. Thirdly, it adorns the truth. What's the truth? The word of God. So you wear the truth of God so others can see it. To plant seeds. And fourthly, it grants you blessed assurance. When there is spiritual progress in your life, there is a sense of, that you belong to God because you see his work and your calling and election becomes sure. When you see sanctification and your desires start to change, thank God for that because he's working in you. When you start to see the utter destruction of your sin and the weight of your sin, praise God that you even see that because so many think, oh, I think I'm good. Me and Jesus, the homeboy, we're good. We don't see how much of need we are of saving. Because the Spirit works that in you to see that you need saving, that there are things that need to be grinded. He's the potter, we're the clay. Not only that, it preserves you from the sorrows and the tragedies of spiritual weakness, which are not enjoyable to any believer at any time. Furthermore, pursuing the prize, pursuing Christ, running the race that is this life, seeking the goal, protects the cause of Christ from reproach. Because when you live a godly life and you pursue the goal, your life is consistent with the character of Christ and the character he upholds in Scripture. And thus, you're not a reproach to him. 
I want to share with you, we went to this conference and it, and it was called Be Dangerous. Be Dangerous for Christ. Isn't that a weird statement? Be Dangerous. There was three kind of people that I heard in a sermon by, by Todd and he said, there are people that are in danger because they don't know or trust in the gospel. And that danger is eternal separation from God. Hell. I'm just going to warn you about that. They're in danger. Or they cause danger to the kingdom because certain believers say they believe. Yeah, I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but they go out. They don't live it out at all. They hurt people. They be religious people and push people away from the church. They cause danger to the kingdom, which that'll be between you and God. And number three, there are people that are dangerous for God. That we ought to want to be. That when you wake up and your feet hit the ground, that Satan trembles. When you wake up, they say, I don't want him to wake up. The demons I don't want her to wake up. And you go out into this life and you let your light shine. So when you pursue the prize and run the race and you grow spiritually, it produces a little thing called joy. It produces a little thing called purpose and usefulness in your life. And thus, then you can minister to the world. And you can finally be the light to people. Pursuing the goal, it also enhances your witness to the lost world. Being the light. Being the salt. We press on for Christ due to what He has done for us. No other motive. No other motive. We love because He first loved us. Not for man praise, but we do it for, due to what Christ did for us. The good news that Christ died to pay for our sins. What a joy that is. He earned our salvation, our eternity. We can rest in that. He conquered death to display his glory and he is fully God. Now, A.R. Fawcett stated that Christ is the author and the finisher of your life. He created you. So that was just verse 12. With a little bit of verse 14 sprinkled in. Now we're going to read verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. David Guzik stated, Paul wrote from such spiritual maturity and purity that we might expect he believed that he had conquered all spiritual difficulties and saw himself as arriving at perfection. Yet he assured us this was not so. There was no perfectionism in Paul. So if there is no perfectionism in Paul, the greatest Christian who ever lived, then we better ought not think that we've arrived at perfection. Sadly, it is common for many Christian leaders and many longtime Christians, they cultivate the attitude that they've obtained perfection, that they're sinless. Without saying the words, they put forth this image of constant triumph. There's no vulnerability that gives the idea that they've attained perfection. And I can assure you that just like you, I am as well in this sanctification process. I am not perfect. I too have struggles. 
Charles Spurgeon stated, But while the work of Christ for us is perfect, and it were presumption to think of adding to it, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is not yet finished. It is continually carried on from day to day. This is why we have to live daily for Christ, not just a Sunday. Day to day. And will need to be continued throughout our whole lives. And if you think you've reached perfection due to your works or anything you have done, you are sadly mistaken. And woe to you. 1 John 1.8 states, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. A.R. Fawcett stated at the same time, we must aim at perfection. Who's perfection? Jesus. We must aim at Christ, at the goal, the prize, Christ. In Matthew 5.48, Jesus stated, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So what are we straining towards? Verse 14 is our answer. We strain towards Christ, but we also, verse 14, Paul states, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. We strive after Christ due to what he's done for us, his great love that he poured out for us on the cross, his sacrificial love to pay for our sins. We also strive for the calling that is above. Colossians 3.1, Paul stated, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, seek Christ. Never stop scratching and crawling and going after Christ every day. Running to the Savior for the satisfaction of Him alone. Does the Word of God taste sweet like honey to you? Christ died for your salvation. Therefore, when we trust in Him... We're to repent of our sins. We're to die to ourselves. And we're to live this life all for Him. Due to Him. We're to live for His glory. Due to Him reconciling you back to Himself. And He washes you clean of your sins. Not with toilet water. Your self works. He washes you clean of your sins with His blood. Go after the prize. The crown of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 9.24, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. No matter where you are at in life, run, sprint to Jesus. No matter if you're 10 years old, 30 years old, 50 years old, or 100 years old. 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul said to Timothy, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Crown of life. 1 Peter 5.4, a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So seek eternal things. Seek eternal things over earthly things. You cannot run a race if you don't run. When you run in a race at track, you don't look behind you or you would fall over. Forget your past. We can get so caught up in our past. Oh, those were the good old days. Or maybe your past burdens you and makes you think, Christ can't use me. I'm not good enough. I'm not perfect enough. This is why we must forget the past. We forget it. We drop off the weight. We don't live in the past. You put on the new self. 
You become a new creation. So if you're living in the past or if you're living in the future, it's going to be hard for you to be present for God to work in you at all. Rest in his grace. Put your eyes on Christ. And our final two verses state, let those of us who think or let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So due to verse 3, earlier in chapter 3, it states, For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ, and put no confidence in the flesh. How can we think we are perfect in our walk with Christ and that we're sinless? How can we think this? 1 Corinthians 2.6 Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. 2 Timothy 2.5 And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully? Though perfect, because Paul was perfect in this earthly law way, He was not yet made perfect in the sense intended in Philippians 3.12. He was not yet crowned with complete victory and having obtained absolute perfection. We are striving to Christ. And when we are given our resurrected bodies, we will be made perfect as he is perfect due to his grace on us. Aren't you so tired of living in a sinful, broken world? Aren't you so tired of having to fight sin in your life if you are at all? Isn't it so exhausting dying to yourself? Yet one day we will be made perfect as Christ is perfect. Jesus' righteousness will be fully credited to you. You will be in complete perfection forever with Christ when that day comes to depart to be with Lord Jesus. But until then, we are to be striving for Christ, who is the perfecter of our faith. And he is our great high priest who intercedes for us daily due to our struggle versus sin. And so for those who think, Otherwise, as stated in verse 15, that you've obtained perfection there. You don't need to be seeking sanctification. You don't need to be seeking holiness. Woe to you. A.R. Fawcett stated, he who thinks that he has already attained everything hath nothing. Probably, too, he refers to those who were tempted to think to attain to perfection by the law. Though on account of their formal, on account of their former piety, Paul hopes confidently, as in Galatians 5.10, when he said, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. God will reveal the path of right-mindedness to them, unless they harden their hearts completely. Paul taught externally God reveals the truth internally by the Holy Spirit. If you believe in the gospel, once again, I'm going to tell you, then thank God that he revealed it to you by the hearing of the word of God. Thank God that he softened your heart. Thank God that he chose you and has redeemed you. Thank God every day for his grace that he poured out his love for you on the cross. 
Daily thanksgiving. Repent. Ask Christ to help you to turn away from your sins and flesh. Put off the old, on with the new. Deny yourself. Die to yourself. Pick up your cross and press on to the prize, being Christ himself, and seek the crown of righteousness. Now, we're getting ready to close. Verse 16 is a great reminder for us all to hold true to what we have, what we have obtained. And we are, as the church, to encourage one another in our faith, to love one another with the love that Christ has for you. How do we have unity? Humility. Humility, thank you. We have unity by having humility. Unselfish love for one another. Iron sharpens iron. And we are all to hold on to the gospel as true no matter what circumstances come. So let us love and encourage one another with the truth only found in the word of God. We will not be perfect till we get to be with Christ fully. We get to look forward to that. And we depart from this life, as stated in 2 Corinthians 4, 5-7. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants. For Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Todd also stated that God puts the treasure of himself in you. We have been redeemed by him. God works that in your heart by the power of himself, the Holy Spirit. Paul states, join me. Walk it out. Spread it out. Press on. We're not at the finish line yet, but we're called to it. Our focus should be to be with Christ. But until then, we press on to the prize. There is a call. And MacArthur, I want to close with these questions. I want to, close, I want to ask you these questions as we close. Ask yourself the question, are you pursuing the prize? Are you growing? Or are you standing in one spot, looking backwards and spending most of your time defending yourself? Or are you willing to say, I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm moving and I'm straining towards the prize, that being Christ Jesus. Let's pray. I want to share with you a prayer by... A.W. Tozer, and how the Christian, how we ought to be. O God, be thou exalted over my possessions. Nothing of earth's treasures shall seem dear unto me if only thou art glorified in my life. Be thou exalted over my friendships. I am determined that thou shalt be above all. Though I must stand deserted and alone in the midst of the earth, be thou exalted over my comforts, though it mean the loss of bodily comforts and the carrying of heavy crosses, I shall keep my vow made this day before thee. 
Be thou exalted over my reputation. Make me ambitious to please thee, even if as a result I must sink into obscurity and my name be forgotten as a dream. Rise, O Lord, into thy proper place of honor. Help us to put you on the throne of our life. Above our ambitions, above our likes, above our dislikes, above our family, above our health, and even our lives. Let us decrease that thou may increase. Let us sink that thou may rise above all. Help us, God, to keep you as our number one priority in life. Help us to die to ourselves. Help us to be born again. Help us to to die to ourselves and live for you and see your word and taste it, that it is sweet as honey. Help us to devour your word daily with an unquenchable thirst, with an unsatisfied hunger. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This life is not it. Help us to live accordingly so that one day, Lord, that when we are with you, that you would know us because we had a relationship with you. And we are thankful for your grace. And we can rest in your grace. And we need to tell people of this good news. Help us to do that. Help us to live for you and only for you. And we're saved only because of you. Not in what we've done. It should convict us. We never want to hear the words, away from me, depart from me. I never knew you. Work in our hearts to press on to the prize. To press on and strain with every fiber in our being to go after you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.